All right, what a blessing. What a blessing to be back. I'm going to jump into Ezekiel. Turn with me to the first scroll of Ezekiel, which begins in Ezekiel chapter 8. But it's really just a teaser because we're actually not going to get into a whole bunch of text today because for me really to do um, this whole teaching going into the 13 scrolls and the order of the scrolls of Ezekiel, which is the premise to this whole teaching, um, we really need to spend the time um, establishing the whole context of the scrolls because really to understand this book, to understand it, how it's supposed to be interpreted, not only in its historical context, but in its prophetical today context of how we are to live as believers in what I believe are these closing days, we have to understand the backdrop to how the scrolls were delivered to Israel, that in fact it's not the book of Ezekiel, but 13 separate distinct state um, date stamped scrolls that were deposited in a depository, sealed and stamped to be revealed to the last generation. And it has been hidden in plain sight for two millennia. So for us to really, really delve into this properly, the introduction, I'm going to spend some time doing it. So I wasn't going to get into a bunch of text today, but I love the Bible. So let's begin with just the first scroll, a few verses, just so that we can see before I give you the full introduction um, today. Ezekiel, the first scroll, begins, this is his first vision, and it begins in what has been titled by the King James translators, translators, as chapter 8. But this really is the beginning, first vision, first scroll, and it says, and it shall come to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the land in the hand of Yahuwah Elohim fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was the likeness, like the appearance of fire from the appearance of its waist and downward, fire and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of his hand and took and took me by the lock of my hair and the ruach, the spirit, lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought in visions of Elohim to Jerusalem to the door of the north gate of the inner court where where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, behold, the glory of the Elohim of Israel was there, like the visions that I saw in the plain. Then he said unto me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes toward the north. And there, there the north altar gate was the image of jealousy in the entrance. 
Furthermore, he said unto me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now, turn again. You will see even greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door the first vision, the first scroll, the opening of the visions and scrolls of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is given a hole to appear through, and he widens that hole, and the whole premise is Israel, the nation, has fallen into such moral decay that now there is no pleading. It is just a question of time before the fire, the judgment, and the anvil comes down on the inhabitants because the leaders, those of the nation that control all things, whether it is the politics, the religious, the finances, have become so depraved, so utterly despicable that there is no turning back. And it's being exposed And Ezekiel has this little small glimpse, but as he starts to widen up the view and he starts to appear in, he sees more and more and more abominations. I think you and I today, when we see more and more and more of the things that are appearing on our religious, political, and geographic landscape, the view that we're having is more and more abominable, is it not? The things that are happening, in fact, in plain sight, as we'll see in the book of Ezekiel, the blood just seethed on the altar stone where they had killed the former prophets, in plain sight. What used to be hidden is now done publicly in open display. What used to be hidden from our children, now we have to be careful where we take our children because it is no longer hidden. This is the whole premise of what happens to a nation before even the righteous get caught up in the judgment. And we have this idea in the West that as believers that we will be pre-tribulation raptured or we will be spared. But at some point, the Bible digresses from that erroneous belief system and says at some point, the nations that you're housed in have become so dreadful that even the cry of the righteous, even the cry of the righteous will not stem the tide of what is happening. And I believe that you and I, this generation, that we truly, truly need to hear and heed the words of the prophet because this is coming true in our day, in our time. And we need to be aware so that we do not have trembling in our loins, so that we can be equipped when others are trembling in their loins to minister to them, to give them the vision of hope, so that we can stand strong. Because others because they have listened to the lies and the deception, will not be able to stand, and if you can, still stand in the day of peril. So I hope that this is a ministry to you, because for me, this has been the hugest endeavor of my life to delve into this 
truly, truly soberly, and to have the time off and to reflect and then to come in strong. So let's begin with Ezekiel and the revelation of the 13 scrolls. This is an introduction today. That's the text, but let's now give you the whole view and set this up. Because remember, it began back at the mountain, the delivery from Egypt, and there's Moshe. Moses takes the children of Israel, takes them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they come to the mountain. And Moshe portrayed what could have been. This is what could have been the glory of Yahuwah coming down from the heavens. Everything that you see in the heavens, that you can write down this pattern. Moshe portrayed what could have been. But here, here we see that Ezekiel portrayed what was. Ezekiel portrayed what really really was. Israel, they could have been the very parchment. That was the idea, that Israel, the nation, was going to be the very parchment on which Yahweh's very word was written. That was their whole goal. I'm going to take out a people, and I'm going to call them my own. I'm going to put my name upon them. I'm going to actually write it upon them. They are going to be the living parchment of my word, and they are going to project that, manifest that to the very nation. Moshe portrayed what could have been. Ezekiel now portrays the reality, what actually was. Because Israel did not become that parchment on which Yahuwah was able to write his very word. They did not become that living, breathing Torah scroll, did they? Because they were hardened like stone. Hardened like stone. They were unable to take up the calling, take up the mantle. But instead, they built the golden calf and they then came under the yoke of the book of the law. And Yahuwah pushed back with them. But they pushed back more and they pushed back at Yahuwah's parameters, even of the book of the law. They wouldn't heed the calls of the prophets. For 30 years prior to this, Jeremiah had been telling them, repent, return, come back into the Torah, come back into the book of the law. And they wouldn't even keep the word words of the book of the law. They wouldn't even stay within those very parameters through the times of the judges, through the times of the kings and the prophets. They heeded not even those words, and they found themselves where? They found themselves here by the river Hebeh, just outside of Babylon. And that's where our story begins, by the river Hebeh, just outside of Babylon. So really, when we look at the whole narrative, Moses begins with the ten words, and Ezekiel begins with the ten stages in which the Ruach, the Spirit of Yahuwah, begins to recede from the temple and recede from the people. It really is quite a shift when you see how Moses began with the 10 words of what Israel could have been. And now we see that Ezekiel portrays 10, 10 agonizing stages in which Yahweh's glory is going to leave the temple, and ultimately it will go over onto the Mount of Olives. And we see that Yahuwah's glory, that withdrawal of the Holy Spirit, happens conversely 
to the giving of the ten words in Moses' time, conversely we see now the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit from the holy city, the holy temple, actually left Israel naked and exposed to who? None other than Nebuchadnezzar. So the temple and its service were actually, in the scrolls of Ezekiel, were reflections of Israel. The temple and its service were, in fact, reflections of Israel, reflections of the people. And as we go through the scrolls of Ezekiel, you'll see that Ezekiel's wife, what happens to her? She dies in a plague. And how does the Bible describe Ezekiel's wife? She didn't die by any fault of her own because she was described in the scripture as the desire of thine eyes. Ezekiel, your wife is the desire of thine eyes because she is a picture of the temple. The temple didn't get destroyed by any fault of the temple. It wasn't constructed erroneously. The the sand and mortar wasn't mixed incorrectly. It didn't fall down. Ezekiel's wife, likewise, is a picture of the temple. The temple is the desire of Yahweh's eyes, his beloved, yet it is destroyed, not by any fault of its own. And Ezekiel is commanded to what? He is commanded, do not mourn your wife's demise. And his wife, this is just to show you just how false religion is today. Because the Jews will tell you on the ninth of Av that you should mourn and lament the destruction of the temple. No, the Bible tells us, do not mourn and do not lament the destruction of the temple. It's a command. So don't look to the state of Israel and Judaism and all of that Zionistic glory for your deliverance in these last days. Because it's a lie. His wife is a picture of the temple. And Yahweh says, you shall not mourn the destruction of your wife. You shall not mourn the destruction of the temple. It wasn't destroyed because of its own fault. It was destroyed because of the condition of the people. The condition of the people is the problem. And the condition of the people is still the problem today. So... There is a lot to see as we delve into this because Ezekiel's wife, she was the desire of thine eyes. And Yahweh now tells us that this is a reflection, his wife, a reflection of the temple. Ezekiel, of course, was the priest. He was the prophet whose primary mission was away. He was in the exile. He wasn't in the land. His primary mission was away outside of Israel, just like where we are today. We're to hear the word of Yahweh, not when we're in the land, but we are actually in the exile, and the words of the prophet come to us whilst we're out here in the exile too. So there is huge, huge parallelisms because 
The book of Ezekiel, the scrolls of the Ezekiel are historical, but it's a wheel within a wheel that it then moves forward to the prophetic now if we can unravel the dating mechanism and therefore see the word how it is supposed to be delivered to an end time remnant people in exile with expectation of deliverance, but it is because of the condition of their leaders in the nations of which they are housed that has become so morally, spiritually, and absolutely abominable that the judgment will not be turned back. That is where we live today. And I know that that's not a popular message, and it's not one of doom and gloom. It's one of reality so that we can have the hope and vision of being that people that can stand and then shepherd in all of those that are buckling at the knees. And they may be devout believers in the Messiah, but they are ill-equipped for the days and times and seasons that we live in. They will buckle at the knees, they will weep and mourn, and you and I will have the strength by the Ruach to lift them up and carry them into the sheepfold. So, we must be strong because you are the remnant people that can even have the ear to hear and the eyes to see because to get where we are today has been a trial and a tribulation in itself spiritually, has it not? You have literally had to question everything and you have come under the guns of your friends, your family and your community because you've stood out and you said, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. I know that's what they're saying, but that's not truth. So let's continue on together because you are in the company of, like the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you are in the company of the last day saints. And this is the visions of Ezekiel. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was teaching to the people in exile, away from the land of Israel. And he finds himself in the midst of Israel's sinfulness. And I find myself in the midst of sinfulness every, every single day, more than I would say most of you in here. And I have had to question why on earth I have to work in the environment that I do. Why? Why is it that I get the privilege of doing what I'm doing now, yet I have to work in the most, oh, dreadful conditions Dreadful conditions amongst some of the most despicable things that I have to literally take people to task over things that you would read about in Leviticus 20. Why is it that I, I, this is just, I don't understand. I've, 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 for 24 years, I've guarded my eyes and my, made a covenant with my eyes and I've, I've lived a devout and pure life with my marriage and my family. We've been faithful to one another in word, action, and deed. Yet I'm thrusting. Why? I've guarded myself. I know why. Because the prophet had to be able to do that, be in the midst of that, to be able to communicate it. it it's amazing to me. And you and I, I tell you, we have a message. We have a message. But we have to believe it. You're in the same position. You have to believe that you're in that position because you need to be able to see it and then live this to be able to identify it and target it. You know that's true, don't you? So powerful. 
the priest and the prophet who pled with Israel through symbolic acts. And he delivered 13 messages to an exiled nation to try and convince them to save themselves. Save themselves through repenting. But tragically, they didn't repent, did they? They didn't repent at all. Because these are words and parables of doom. And it's really the best description of the first visionary scrolls is words and parables of doom. Whereas later on we'll see restoration is the character and theme of some of the latter visions. But the theme of judgment really dominates the whole depository of these 13 scrolls. Now, Ezekiel's prophetic career, it really spanned a period of about 25 years where these 13 visions were actually given to the prophet while he was in Babylon right by the river Heber, and he was given these visions to go to the elders of Israel that were in exile too. And this was in about 597 before the common era. And I know there's a lot of information, but some of you are taking notes, some people online, but I really feel I have to do the book, The Scrolls Justice, before we plow into it. Because, but then again, I'm only a product of my past, just like you are. And um, one of my biggest, I think, pet peeves was when I was in Calvary chapels, we'd just dive into the book of John, and I was never given any context and history. And I would have really appreciated that because I think that's important. So, I most probably overdo it a little bit, so please excuse me. But again, I'm a product of my past, and so therefore I want to make sure I don't make those mistakes. So please bear with me. Some of you are like, get into it, would you? But, you know, no, I'm not going to get into it. So anyway, so let me give you a little bit of the backdrop. If you want to read a parallel commentary, then whilst we're going through the scrolls of Ezekiel, read the book of Jeremiah. Read the book of Jeremiah. It's amazing. It's just like, just locks in perfectly because, of course, Jeremiah had spent 30 years trying to get Israel and Judah to repent. And, of course, his, his um, warnings went unheeded, did they not? So it's so easy as I get through the text and you go through the text to get distracted by all the paganism, isn't it? And we can get distracted today a lot by all the paganism around us. Now we've awoken to it, right? But it's so easy to get distracted of all the paganism that you see with the Babylonians, especially today in our zeal as we get into the Word. But remember, it wasn't the might of Nebuchadnezzar that brought down the Jewish people. It wasn't the might of Nebuchadnezzar. He was just a tool. It was the sinfulness of Israel that brought down and brought about its own destruction. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. Yahweh could have used anybody, just as he can use anybody today to bring down that anvil of destruction. Nebuchadnezzar was merely Yahweh's tool. Just as years before him, Sennacherib, of course, the leader had been a tool used to banish the ten tribes of Israel from the land. 
So Yahweh used various men as tools of his destruction. As I go through these scrolls, and we touched a little bit on it when we went through Obadiah, you can see the futility, the futility of forging alliances. Now, this is a very present reality for us if we're aware of the geopolitical landscape that we live in. We live in a global landscape more than anything before. And these alliances that the nations have with one another through various trade partnerships, this is their last measure, desperate attempt to forge alliances because the judgment, the impending crisis financially, which will bring a northern hemispheric judgment economically and then a southern hemispheric judgment of famine and sword, is going to happen. They know it. I know it. I hope you know it. So they are scurrying around just like Israel in our text, trying to forge these. Should we go to the Egyptians? No, let's go. Let's go down to Ammon. No, who should we? And they, they're all backstabbing and making these alliances in a last scurrying attempt to try and stem the flow of judgment. But it doesn't work. So you and I need to be aware of it to see it today because there is a futility of forging alliances. Obadiah spoke about it. He prophesied about it. Ezekiel, Jeremiah thus do as well. But the leaders thought that creating a balance of power could in fact save them. Do our leaders think the same things today? So they forged an alliance with Egypt to try and save them from Nebuchadnezzar, but in fact it backfired. You try and make alliances with the world, and it will backfire with you. It will. You try and make alliances with the world. You try and go to bed with the world. It will backfire on you. Ezekiel warned them that they were wrong. They were wrong. Their only security, my only security, your only security, regardless, it is only in Yahuwah. And I, I, I have worries. I have concerns. And I have to know that my security is in Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone. And that's how I, I live. And I look back and I think, man, it was so easy when I first came to America and I was 19 and I was a sinner and oblivious to it all. Because sinning was just easy. And now I know so much, I'm accountable to so much, and I know so much, and the Spirit convicts me, and it's like fear and trepidation every breath, every step. But you can understand where the people that I spend my days with, how they can just blast. They're they're literally like a match. (sighs) But man, I tell you what, that match burns down to your finger fast, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I think how clueless I was. How clueless we are when we're asleep. But now that we're awake, it is a burden, is it not? There is a burden of responsibility that the word brings. It's a responsibility that you and I have to others because we are our brother's keeper. And there's only a few of you that have been raised up in this day and age to be your brother's keeper because your brothers are getting 
a souped-down, mixed message and will not be able to stand. And you are their keeper. So for me, I see now why this whole message has come full cycle for me. Because it's not for me to lambast and judge against, you know, where I came from, whether it was Calvary Chapel or Evangelical or this, that, and t'other. But really, I see that it's full cycle. I'm my brother's keeper. I'm my brother's keeper. And now I see that. So at first, there was a saltiness and an aggressiveness because, you know, I was upset that I'd been deceived, upset that they'd, they'd given me all this half-truth because I'm fully in, 100%. But now I can see that there's so much more to it. There's a futility, though, of forging alliances. We can't go to church on Sunday and then forge an alliance with the world during the week. Then we can't compromise the message on Sunday and make it appeasing to the world to try and draw more people in. That's not going to work either. You've got no witness. You've got no testimony, and you've got no power to help people in these last days. Ezekiel warned us, and he warned the people, he warns us that our only security is to lay in the loyalty that we have to Yahuwah and his commandments. Nebuchadnezzar's apparent might only lay in Israel's allegiance to idols, greed, and sin. If they hadn't been into idolatry, they hadn't been greedy, and they weren't a bunch of sinners, then Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have come down and been the anvil of judgment. The Jews could have been spared the whole carnage of what happened in Jerusalem. And Israel could have been restored. They could have been restored if only they had heeded the words, not of Ezekiel, but of Jeremiah beforehand. Ezekiel is like the last vanguard. But they they had plenty of warning. But they decided to chuck Jeremiah down the well. They wouldn't even listen to him. And now they end up with 13 visions written down in 13 scrolls deposited in a depository. And Ezekiel respectively comes to the elders and tells them that this is time to repent. But today, as we go through the scrolls of Ezekiel, once we put it, which I endeavor to do, I hope, I pray, to put the book, the Ezekiel Scrolls, into its proper historical and prophetic context, you'll find it's not, in fact, a book about the Millennial Temple, but a collection of 13 time, date, stamp scrolls of hope and direction to us, to a nation in exile to a nation in exile. And you can go, well, why are we hearing about this now then? Why didn't we hear about this 100 years ago, 200 years ago? Why haven't other people written about this? They have. But it's not popular, so it gets buried in the annals of history. Because if we had learned about it, then we'd be prepared for the ensuing onslaught, would we not? That's the problem. Part of the problem is that Judaism, in fact, has banned the book of Ezekiel in the yeshiva study. You can't read it in yeshiva. Mainstream Christianity, on the other hand, has done what with the book of Ezekiel? Hyper-spiritualized it because they want to go to heaven. They don't want the land. The book of Ezekiel is about the land. We're going to be pre-tribulation raptured. We're going to be in heaven. 
So they've hyper-spiritualized the book of Ezekiel, and the land is left, of course, to the Jews who go through the tribulation after the fictitious pre-tribulation rapture. And so therefore you see the problems that we have. This is set by the river Heber to a nation in exile. A nation, a remnant people that rejected these scrolls over two and a half millennia ago. Now, you and I are recipients of these 13 scrolls two and a half millennia later. What are we doing? We are sitting right by the river too. Oh no, it's not called the river Heber where spies were sent out to see what they were doing. Where are we sitting? We're sitting right by the river Amazon, Jeff Bezos' Amazon, and you've got Alexa and Siri spying on you, right? I hope none of you have got Alexa in your home because she is always listening. So we're in exile sitting by another river, and we've got spies amongst us, and you all just tap on the agree tab when that iPad and that iPhone updates, and how many of you read all of that? No, you just agree, agree. What are you agreeing to? What are you making a covenant with? See, there are spies in the land as we sit by Bezos, the most rich man in the whole of the world that is literally running a slave market, is he not? So, you know, there's a parallel universe going on as far as I can see. We're just traded rivers, and I'm thinking that river, Hebe, might be better than the Amazon. <laughs> so, again, we have to really think about this because as the Jews had spies watching them, we've got spies watching us. And today, as governments scramble to try and create these alliances, these balances of power, they're forming alliances with the likes of the EU. We've got NAFTA, we've got APEC. All the while, we've just had Brexit and the Catalonia. We have them pulling out. But the real news is simultaneously trying to unravel these same alliances. Governments try and save themselves from all these impending crises, just as Israel was trying to save itself from the impending crisis. But will an Ezekiel cry rise up in these last days? Will an Ezekiel cry rise up in the culture and say, this is wrong, this is wrong? You see, the nations and the cultures, their destruction is not going to be today. It's not going to be because of Kim Jong. It's not going to be because of Vladimir Putin that this nation or the nations have destruction. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be because of our alliance with idols, our alliance with greed, and our alliances with sexual immorality. The same things. It's not the Nebuchadnezzars of the world. It's not the Kim Jongs. It's not the Vladimir Putins. But it's what you're in bed with. It's your alliances as a nation. And at some point, even the righteous in the nation that aren't doing that, because the majority of the nation has been given heed to it, that judgment will come through those leaders upon that nation, that not even the prophet's wife, will escape. 
And that is the biggest religious misconception now, is that you can go to church and you can be holy and that none of this is going to affect you. But that's insane. You live in exile amongst a nation that is doing despicable things, not only here, but abroad. And as that hole in the wall is being widened up, and you're seeing it through real news, what you thought would never happen 20 years ago is in the headlines every day. Every day. You go to certain cities, and the whole of the cities are sodomites. You go before courts, and it's a sodomite court. I mean, it's everywhere. Municipalities, everywhere. That wall is, is widening, and as you go in, you, you, you see all the elders bowing down towards all of this greed and sexual immorality. There is corruption at the highest levels. And it affects you and I. You can, you, we can go like this. And I literally have to do that to walk into my business. There's an alcove right next to my business. And I've petitioned the city. I've gone to the police. Can we just put a, can we just put a fence up there? Can we, I mean, I know it's a virus. Can we put a push bar? I'll pay for it. I will go around to all the businesses. And I will pay for it. Because what's happening in that alcove? Is an abomination. And will they allow it? No. They would rather the abominations go in. I literally have to literally... That's, that's, that's exactly what Ezekiel did. But he had to actually open up that wall. This is, this is it. And I know I, I, I'm passionate about this, but you have to understand, you're going to go where I've been, and we're going there together again. Because this is a real live scripture today in our life. And it is an end-time message for us in exile in the nations. Because we're going to find that our allegiance as a nation with all of this greed and immorality is what is going to bring the judgment. Because ultimately, it's a rejection of this nation of Elohim. And it's going to be because sin becoming fully formed brings forth death. Death of a culture and death of a nation. I mean, we have Russia. We have Moscow. We have Syria. We have Turkey. We have the Kurds. We have Iraq. We have Iran. We have Saudi Arabia, Gaza. Listen, Lebanon, Jordan, Ethiopia, the state of Israel, mystery Babylon, and finally the Islamic Assyrian, all uncloaked by Ezekiel in here. All of those nations, yes, they go by their biblical monikers, but they are these current nations. Yes, the biblical monikers may be Gog and Magog and Meshach and Tabul and Persia and Babylon and Eden and Gabal and Ammon and Philistia and Tyre and Kedar, etc., etc. But these nations, we can identify them by their modern name. Moscow even. Turkey. What a journey we're about to embark upon. What a journey we're about to embark upon. Ultimately, ultimately, prepare, prepare to witness the prophecies of the Bible unfold before our very eyes as Turkey leads an invasion into Israel with, of course, Libya, Iran, and Sudan. All these nations are today fighting in Syria.
All these nations are today fighting in Syria. And I believe we'll witness in our days the chief prince of Turkey lead the battle to the valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. It's all right there. And Ezekiel warns us. Will you repent? No, the nation won't. Well, you and I have, but the nation won't. And I know many people have had high hopes for Donald Trump. But it's not going to happen. The nation is still thick and ready for judgment. But returning back to the historic backdrop, the primary reason for the exile was that Israel treated Yahweh's service casually and they treated his providence as coincidence. And tragically, tragically, mainstream Christianity has found herself in the same place today, treating Yahweh's service casually and his providence as coincidence. Israel, they failed to express their lives in the realization that the law of Yahuwah is no less a reality than the law of gravity. And again, tragically, today, mainstream Christianity finds herself in the same place today. Ezekiel, his name means he will strengthen faith in Elohim. Because Ezekiel, like I said, he, he, he lost eventually his beloved, the desire of his own eyes, his wife. She died in the plague. Israel rebelled against Yahuwah. They rebelled against the law of Yahuwah. They were convinced that the temple was their guarantee against judgment. They had the temple. They weren't going to get judged. And it alleviated them from any personal responsibility to Yahuwah's law. They thought, well, we've got the temple. Therefore, we don't have to be responsible to the law of Yahuwah. And today, we find ourselves in a parallel universe as well, in the midst of a religious culture that are convinced that Jesus and the law of Christ is their guarantee against judgment. And likewise, it alleviates them from any responsibility personally of keeping Yahuwah's law. Well, well, it doesn't. It didn't then, and it won't today. You can make excuses and say, well, we have the temple, or we have the law of Christ, but that doesn't alleviate you from personal responsibility to the law of Yahuwah. And tragically, unless there's repentance, it won't be Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar that Yahuwah uses as his instrument of indignation. But it would be mystery Babylon, as the book of Revelation tells us, and the Illuminati-led globalist cabal that will Yahweh use as his instruments of indignation in these days and these times. So, again, a prophecy of a prophecy comes forth. Jeremiah said in the 16th chapter, 16th verse, we've heard this many times, Behold, I will send for many fishermen. That's the gospel message. It's, it's a light and easy message. And if you hear it and you come out, then you are truly blessed at that time. And we came out through the message of the fishermen, says Yahuwah, and they shall fish them. And after this, 
I will send for many hunters. If you don't listen to the message, the true message of repentance and coming out of her, my people, through the fishermen, I'm a fisherman. You're a fisherman. If you don't, before the judgment comes, Yahweh will use the hunters, Esau, Islam, and he will send out for the hunters, and they will hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. And then it says, for my eyes are on all of their ways. They are not hidden from my face. Their iniquity is not hidden from mine eyes. He sees it all. And now is the time of the hunters being used by the globalist, of course, to bring forth the migration and the destruction and destabilization of the nations. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't escape the astute um, readers notice that Ezekiel, like this ministry, Ezekiel, like this ministry, suggested that the, the book of the law needed emendation. It needed emendation, a call to the return to covenant, which is the premises for the whole of the scrolls of Ezekiel. Because in Ezekiel 20, verse 25, it says, Therefore, I also gave them statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. Of course, the context of the prior 24 verses of Ezekiel 20 is the wanderings in the wilderness and the subsequent sin of the golden calf. So therefore, Yahuwah also gave them judgments that they could not keep, that they could not live by. Looking at the timeline of what we're about to get into, of course, the tabernacle was 1,200 years before the common era. Solomon's temple was 960 years before the common era. We had the 10 northern tribes taken into captivity by the Assyrians in about 700, 733 before the common era. And then, of course, along comes our context, the Babylonian captivity of 597 before the common era, as you go through this timeline. And you can see the names of the kings are very similar. So you have to be careful of your translation or what you're communicating to the people because some of the names you really have to is it Jeconiah and Jecoin? They're very, very similar. Just a couple of letters in the Hebrew difference, but we can see that um, Jeconiah reigned three months and ten days from December the 9th, 598 to March. 1516, 597 before the common era, when he was the first taken into captivity. But the ten tribes, along with the great princes of the assembly, they were already dispersed some 130 years prior to the scrolls of Ezekiel. Some were in an area just north to where the, the prophet was actually held captive. And then, of course, we have what's called Zerubbabel's Temple. In 538 before the common era, Zerubbabel, the leader of the tribe of Judah, was part of the first wave of the Jews that came back from Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem. The book of Ezra tells us that in the first chapter. But the Persian king 
on their return, he appointed Zerubbabel as the governor of Judah. Now, Haggai, first chapter of Haggai, you can read that. And it gives you the whole kind of context of the return, exile and return as well. And then right away, we know that Zerubbabel, he started building the temple. And of course, with help, of course, with Joshua, the high priest. And that's great, great book to read about. That is the book of Ezra, specifically the third and fourth chapters. But the first temple, we know the one in the context here that's about to be destroyed was, of course, built by Solomon. And we're seeing its impending judgment and destruction, which would come about in about 507, 587, excuse me, before the common era. Second Kings um, 25 is a great parallel text. So I like to read all these texts at the same time to kind of get my whole head into it, but that's just me. There's a lot to do, but I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? I mean, there really isn't. There's nothing new under the sun. See, as we look at this today, prior, you have to understand, we've only, what, 70, 80 years prior to the invention of the state of Israel in 1948, it wasn't, it wasn't actually uncommon for those committed to the study of the word to become aware. There were people in the 18th and 19th century that were aware of this dating mechanism. I believe one of them was T.E. Whitehouse, which, which was very aware of this dating mechanism of the 13 scrolls of Ezekiel. But it goes against the establishment of a Zionistic controlled state of Israel and every Zionistic 20th, 20th and 21st century religious worldview. So it's buried. But it, I'm not the one bringing this forth this has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But as soon as the state of Israel was born, squashed. It's not taught anymore. Because it goes against the political religious narrative of Zionism. Christian Zionism, Judaism, and everything that the globalist cabal support. Wall Street, the bankers, the Bolsheviks, everything. It goes against it when you look at how this book truly, truly is ordered. So again, there is nothing new under the sun. Matthew didn't come up with this and invent this. This is just diligent study, and we can see that it is meant to be spoken in these these days. But today, especially with the birth of the state of Israel... Christian Zionism and the Messianic movement. Believers alike, they frame their eschatological worldview through the lens of the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel in its King James layout. There's the new temple, the reinstitution of animal sacrifices, and of course, the raising up of the Levitical and Aaronic priesthood, which could not be more erroneous and dangerous in these last days. Because as I've stated before in past studies, the problem will arise when Satan, through his false prophet, planned to make the Anatonia Fortress, which they call the Temple Mount, that platform, they planned to make that the center of world government and universal worship. And Satan is using two fronts today to attain his very goal. The first front 
is a, a secular globalist expansionism. And we see that going on right today. Thrust forward by a tirade of Islamic migration. You see it all throughout Europe. I mean, Great Britain is not great anymore. Of course, they got involved in the first war. That collapsed them. And then the second war just bankrupted them. And Great Britain lost India. And of course, you know, then from out of that, you've got Pakistan and the whole charade. The whole thing came crumbling down. So, you know, we have to look now, of course, the, the first stage in Satan building up this last time deception through a secular globalist expansionism. And that is going to be done through this tirade of Islamic migration and the destate, because that's meant to destabilize, of course, the last sovereign nations. And it's all put forth by the IMF. It's the IMF that are doing this, of course, the undermining of the economic security, and this is put forth by the IMF and the Rothschild-controlled banking system, and it will affect, Zachariah tells us, the northern hemisphere, which will become under economic collapse. If you look at the riding of the horses, it tells you they're going to go out to the north, and then the ones are going to go out to the south. The northern hemispheric collapse will destabilize and bring famine to the more poverty agricultural nations in the southern hemisphere. And this is all set about, this is the first plan. And the second plan, the second stage attack, of course, is this quasi-religious expansionism into Zionism that you see everywhere, where many will support a twisted Levitical worldview of Ezekiel, which will help set the groundwork for the great deception and the great falling away, where the man of sin, what does it say in Thessalonians? The man of sin will be revealed, the son of destruction, who will oppose and raise himself up above all the world governments, representing himself as the divine one to be worshipped, sitting in the sanctuary, showing himself off that he is the divine leader. And that is this two-thrust end goal that many are buying into, that are devout believers too. Masses, masses, and you've seen it, masses of well-meaning believers literally are being led to their very own peril as they support a counterfeit back to the days of constant ritual bloodletting with the return of uh, animal sacrifices, a Jewish altar. And of course, this is an Illuminati-controlled agenda, all funneled through the finances of Chaim Rickman and the Temple Institute. And I used to be a great fan of that before I awoken to it. I've been to the Temple Institute and all of that. But again, we have to look at the setting of the, the world that we live in today. Because the 20th century, we have the First and Second World War. I want to touch on this just briefly because I think it's important so we can understand the visions and the scrolls of Ezekiel. Because the reason that we're in so many problems today is because of the King James dating mechanism, which, of course, comes from the Masoretic text, borrowed from the Jews who banned the book of Ezekiel, its opening chapters and the visions of the throne is banned 
because, of course, the end-time goal of the conspirators is the building of this temple system and the return to ritual bloodletting. Now, this is the creation and the world that we live in. We have to understand it changed at the beginning of the 20th century. We live in a post-allied world. Everything that we know about the First and Second World War is allied propaganda. It's a mixture of truth and fiction. And that allied propaganda is the world that you and I grew up in. And you start to question that, and you're going to get names called at you. But that is the world that we live in, but that is not necessarily reality. And the book of Ezekiel is really going to expose that, because the First World War... Um, was really instituted again by the Illuminati Bolsheviks because they overthrew the Tsars. Um, and of course, the Tsars were in Russia. They were a Jewish-controlled atheistic community. Now, this takeover by the Bolsheviks, I've touched on it um, quite deeply before. I'm just going to go into it briefly. But this takeover by the Bolsheviks expands into other countries, including, of course, Germany. Germany was the only country to stand up to the Bolsheviks, Bolsheviks, excuse me. And this, of course, fermented great tension with the British, who'd already been infiltrated by the Bolsheviks, the politicians, and the banksters. And we have World War I, the war to end all wars. But of course it didn't, did it? And of course then we have World War II is fermented by taking advantage of the division between the fascists and the Bolsheviks. Bolshevism actually at that time then morphs, this is key because you and I are now recipients of this, Bolshevism, you never hear about that anymore, do you? Bolsheviks, right? Bolshevism morphs into political Zionism, and eventually political Zionism kills fascism and the National Socialists, demise the Nazis, and it gains strength as it operates under the fane of a democracy, where the state of Israel is really a racist clique. It's not actually, or clique, it's not really a democracy because you only can go there if you're of a certain racial background. So, you know, it really is a fey democracy and it has set up a global money lending infrastructure. You have to understand that. It's the establishment of a global money lending infrastructure, infrastructure establishing its headquarters in the newly found sovereign state of Israel where it can then do what? Agitate the nations into mutual destruction and submission using what? The International Monetary Fund and Wall Street. And that's been going on ever since the middle of the 20th century. How long can it be sustained? Not that much longer before it brings about what the Bible tells us will be the apocalypse or Armageddon or what we would say World War III, which I believe is now being fermented on all fronts by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agitators. 
the Illuminati, the Zionist Bolsheviks rebranded, and the Arabian states. Mutual destruction, of course, is the very key. But the Bible tells us it's going to backfire. Because in fact, what you're going to see on the horizon is two-thirds of the Zionist Illuminati in Israel will end up being wiped out. And the remnant will then raise up and they will start paying attention and look upon him whom they have pierced, according to the prophecies of Zechariah chapter 12 and 13. But meanwhile... Here in the nations, the nations will become overrun. And this is what we're seeing. The nations are becoming overrun with migrants and become politically. The nations are exhausted. Can you not see that? Politically, the leaders can't last for more than a few years. They are politically exhausted. All the while, what you're seeing is the Illuminati-backed and funded West sides with the Bolsheviks and the Israelis as they grow stronger and stronger. But Russia, oh no, Russia has become unshackled from the Bolshevik tyranny. Seventy years they dealt with it. No way. They're not doing it anymore. So Russia has become unshackled. And these players are in the book of Ezekiel using biblical monikers, but we're going to see that and unravel all of that in these upcoming weeks because right now you're hearing a lot about Vladimir Putin and, you know, the the elections with Donald Trump and all of this, that most of it we found out has been fabricated. At the highest levels of the CIA and the FBI, we've got especially the FBI, huge, huge corruption because they're being funded and funneled by who? None other than the agitators. But Russia is unshackled from the Bolshevik tyranny because they dealt with it for 70 years with the fall of Bolshevism finally in 1989. Never. They will never become enslaved by the Bolsheviks. They will never become enslaved by the Bolsheviks again. And they will side Russia will side with the last, and there's only a few of them, remaining IMF-free countries, those nations that have pulled out of the alliances. Because remember, those alliances, they're always going to backfire. Israel made alliances with Egypt, and it backfired. So today, what are those IMF-free countries? Most of these IMF-free countries, we're ready to go to war with. Right? Why? Because we're not IMF free. We are so shackled to the Bolsheviks. We're so shackled and run by the globalists that we want to go to war with the last remaining IMF free countries. They'd get us into North Korea just any way they could. It's IMF free. They don't know any money. They have not gone to bed with the International Monetary Fund. They don't owe them a cent. No debt to the Bolsheviks. No debt. Cuba. Man, we tried everything against them for 50 years, didn't we? And they still remained IMF-free. Then, of course, you've got all these tiny little sovereign IMF-free nations in Europe. 
where you can go if you want to retire and not have to pay taxes. IMF-free countries like Andorra and Monaco and Liechtenstein. There's a good one for you. And of course, there's many that are waking up to these alliances and saying, no, we're not doing it anymore. And in the past few years, you've seen many countries that have finally paid off their debts to the IMF. Countries like Argentina, Brazil, South Korea, Iceland, Latvia, Hungary, Macedonia, Romania, Russia, 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 Turkey. Again, these players, those latter two especially, mentioned by Ezekiel. Because these alliances, the prophet tells us, they are crumbling. They are crumbling. So when I read the crumbling of the alliances in the book of Ezekiel, I know that it goes into the prophetic future, and I can now see it as a blueprint for hope and survival in these last days. Because Yahweh is opening our eyes through the lens of Scripture to exactly what is happening today if we have got the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And you will not get this information anywhere else but through the word of Yahuwah if we can understand the days that we live in. That's the beauty of the word. It is living and breathing sharper than a two-edged sword. But meanwhile, here we are, stuck at home, right? And we find ourselves, we find ourselves today within such a divided and hostile country, don't we? Where speaking of God and country can lead to ridicule and judgment from both the peasant and the politician. I mean, just even since we've been gone the past few weeks, right, we're getting all of this gun control. We've got Walmart that are saying, oh, you know, they've capitulated. We've got Dick Sports. They've capitulated, right? They're not going to be selling, you know, AR-15s. All of this gun control because we've got the worst, the worst mass shoot. Oh, the worst mass shootings in U.S. history. Well, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history was, of course, Las Vegas, wasn't it? Or was the worst mass shooting Sandy Hook? And the media is telling us about all the, the worst mass shootings in U.S. history. No, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history was when the U.S. Army went into South Dakota and they asked the Native Americans, lay down your arms, and they wouldn't give up their guns, so they slaughtered 300 Native Americans. That's the shooting in U.S. history. Can we tell the truth? But the political spin of it, gun control, give up your guns, otherwise we'll slaughter you. That's the context of the worst shooting in U.S. history. So the propaganda, of course, is unarm a people so that you can take their rights just like they did with the First Nations people. The worst shooting, of course, was in South Dakota, and it was, of course, Wounded Knee. So again, the Wounded Knee Massacre, can we tell the truth? 
but not today with all of this new spin. And that's just been in the past few weeks. So we have to see the shifting sands and the shifting tide that we live in in the context of Scripture. Because by us unraveling in this introduction, the prophecies hidden within plain sight with these 13 scrolls and unearthing the dating mechanism of Ezekiel, I believe that Yahweh is going to open up our eyes to what has been closed for millennia. And it is a blueprint. I know there's a lot of doom and destruction, but it truly is a blueprint for a blessed hope and the blueprint for survival because Yahweh needs a strong people that have the eyes to see, clarity and vision to go and be your brother's keeper. I've spent a few days listening to a few church sermons to see if there's any change. There is no change. It's still what I was being taught 20 years ago. I would have thought maybe these things that are happening in the world would be addressed to Kong, but they're not. They're not. It hasn't changed. It's still the same. So these people need you to be their keeper because their knees will buckle and their insides will fall out through fear and trembling. And I believe that is why Yahweh is calling his people to be ready and equipped to say, oh, that's okay. Come on in. We've known this is going to be happening. The Bible has prepared us. Yahweh has prepared us so we won't faint in the day of travesty. Because if you can't run with the footman and you weary with the footman, oh, what will you do when the horseman come? Well, we're running with the horseman. We are running with the horseman. And that's what I truly feel. I feel I am running with the horseman and I am feeling strong and ready because of the Ruach HaKodesh brings revelation, comfort, vision, and hope. Yes, there's judgment. And yes, many of you are like, oh, lots of doom and destruction. Well, be prepared. We're going into a serious study that is prophetic forward for a people to go and be their brother's keeper. But you can't force your brother to be kept if he doesn't want to be kept and he doesn't want to hear and he wants to use the excuse, we have the temple. I don't need to worry about the judgment that's coming. We have the blessed temple. We have the blessed Jesus and the blessed law of Christ. I am free from personal responsibility of keeping the Sabbath and keeping the law of God because I have the law of Christ. You can't help your brother if he doesn't want you to be his keeper. Just like Ezekiel couldn't help those. At that point, that's okay. You and I will continue to strengthen up, to put on the armor, to be ready for those that truly are. Because we are seeing more and more people awakening, awakening. And like I said, just as that remnant people set by the river Chebar, we find a remnant people sitting by Jeff Bezos' Amazon River, don't we? But we have to be careful because they're spying on us just like they were spying on them, sending out spies to see what you're up to. So don't, don't put Alexa in your home. 
because she's always listening. And Ezekiel was warning those leaders in Israel, beware the Babylonians are sending in spies to your round tables to watch your listening. And be careful when you press that agree tab on all of those apples that we love to eat. So again, lots to think about. I know I didn't get into a bunch of texts. Next week, we'll actually get into the dating order map for us and then delve in in the subsequent weeks. So Yahweh, we thank you, Father, that as we embark on this great journey, Father, that we would truly see that your word is alive and is present for us to be our brother's keeper in these last days. We thank you, Abba, and we thank you for the words of your prophet Ezekiel in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Lots to think about.